Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined with my other co-host, Jim Resky. Jim, how are you doing right now? Great, Greg. Just uh, super excited tonight to be on the podcast. So, Cool. Well, we, we have been discussing the book of Genesis. And we're going to continue that discussion, but we have a special guest with us tonight. My good friend, Louis Baradin, is on the show. Louis, just for the audience's sake... We want to ask you some questions about your life. But first of all, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Blessed indeed. Grateful that you both asked me to join. Awesome. Well, Louis, let me just start us out. Uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Like, what what was your life like before you knew Jesus? So that's a long, deep question. So I'll, I'll do the best I can to kind of summarize. But um Born and raised in um, Akron, Ohio. Actually, first my I spent my younger years in Cuyahoga Falls before he moved. But uh, my mom and dad, uh, dad was a bar owner. So you can imagine some of the, the things that come along with a fellow being a bar owner. So my dad was both an alcoholic and a drug addict. And my mother, she was the opposite end of the spectrum. She was the conservative registered nurse. So we had the enabling nurse and the, uh, the wild bartender. So, and I was raised in a family and I, I applaud my parents because I believe they did the best they could to point me to the truth, but ultimately just through their upbringing, um, I think that was blurred a little bit as to what they perceived as being the truth. Um, I was raised Catholic, uh, spent many, many years going to uh, Sunday school. In fact, I went for two reasons. Uh, it allowed me to have a safe place on Sundays for a couple of hours. And uh, two, it allowed me to spend time with my friends. And I would say the third reason, ultimately, I was, even at that point, seeking. I had a very strong desire, and I wanted to know the truth. So ever since I was a child, I've been rather brash and bold with the truth, uh, regardless of the consequences. I was the child that, when asked a question, I always told the truth, regardless of the consequences. So, but, um, you know, as I continued those years, being raised in that fashion and form and going to Sunday school. I was inquisitive and I asked questions, but as far as my house was concerned, we had a Bible, it's about 18 inches thick, your typical Catholic family Bible. And the only time it was really open is if we had a specific assignment or project for Sunday school. I asked a lot of questions at home. I never really saw a family member pray. I never really saw a family member read the Bible. And with a lot of the questions that I asked, I was generally directed back to the church and was told to ask the priest. So, but ultimately overall, you know, growing up, I was a, I was a pretty good kid. Um, Eighteens when things started to shift or change a little bit, uh, different friends that I had had and influences and of course seeking approval where I didn't really receive a lot, receive a lot of approval from my family. Um, I started to seek approval sometimes in the wrong friends. And uh, 
the first time I really stumbled was probably about the age of 18. It was uh, sexual sins. Um, it was the first time I made a decision because I felt like less of a man trying to please men instead of honoring God. And ultimately, that's where things started in that fashion or form. But at the age of 17, I was working full time for my father in my family's bar. And so to be 17 years old, I was being exposed to a lot of things. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that would have been like. Uh, now you and I have something in common and that is, I, I believe you have, you don't, you don't drink alcohol. I have never drank. I've never smoked. I've never done drugs. I've never had a cup of coffee and I quit drinking pop when I was 21. Man, that's a lot. That's a so, lot. But it's, what's really amazing is to think of somebody who's worked, worked in a bar and never touched alcohol. That's well, actually, I touched alcohol, but most of the times it was accidental. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> so you pick up, pick up the wrong glass sometimes, sometimes when you're tapping a keg, that pressure. So there was a few times I did taste it, but it wasn't intentional. <laughs> That's funny. So, Louis, why is that? Since that seems to be kind of a big uh, notable feature when you say, I don't, and down, down to not uh, drinking pop. And by the way, for some of our listeners who aren't from the Midwest United States, pop would be would be soda, uh, or I think uh, even carbonated beverages in other parts of the world. But uh, that's a long list of abstinences. I mean, is there a reason? Would you is observations from well, the family bar? That's so an early it's a question I that I commonly get, and people most often they make the assumption: Is it because of your father? So my dad imagined any kind of a compulsion or addiction, he had them. Yeah, and. Um, you know, there's one reason I have not drank, and there's only one reason I haven't drank, and uh, it's it's just purely and simply God's grace. I can honestly say to you, the only reason I've never drank is because I've never had the desire. Hmm. So I am the first Verdon male in four generations that's not an alcoholic. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. So what was the what was the turning point in your life that? Um, so you told us a little bit about what your life was like before you found Christ. Um, well, how I didn't did you... find him. He found me. Right, right. Well, how did he find you? And you, I maybe you were getting to that point because you were it talking about when you were 18. 2003, so it was much later. I had left the bar. Um, I was working for a friend's father, and I was in a position where I was living in a condominium I had no business being in. It was very expensive. Um, my my income had changed greatly. I had gone from making a lot of money to what I was earning and had reduced quite a bit. My father had died. I was mourning the death of my father. And I was really in a very difficult place and a difficult point in my life where uh, there was a lot of sin in my life. And uh, it was a Thursday night. I, I, I don't know how I could tell you that, but I do know it was a Thursday night. It was in the summer before fall. I wish I knew the date. But um I was in bed and something compelled me to get out of bed. It was probably around 2.30 in the morning. And I took uh, three steps. The only light in the room, I, I love telling this part of the story because it, it dates me, but uh, my digital alarm clock was the only light that was in the room. And I just remember taking about three steps and um, someone had pushed me from behind my kneecaps and I fell to my knees. And when I fell to my knees, I just started to weep. And I turned and I crawled back to the edge of the bed and I cried out, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. Save me. And I just remember standing up and 
almost falling into my bed and wrapping myself in my comforter. And I woke up 13 hours later and um, there's been nights I've slept 13 hours before, but woke up restless and still tired. But that morning when I woke up, there was a rest I had never had before, just a piece. Something had changed. I didn't understand. I, I, I was trying to describe it at the time, but I couldn't. But uh, that was the turning point, and uh, nothing in my life's been the same since that evening. Um, it took me many years to understand who had touched me that night, but uh, it was pretty surreal, and and um, I was not going to church. I was not reading the Bible. I certainly had no one ministering to me or preaching or teaching me the gospel. Uh, the furthest thing from it, I don't know that I had a Christian within 100 miles of me. So, And that's what's so unique about my conversion is... Uh, and through his grace and by his grace, he came to me. Wow. It's amazing. Lee. Was that like a low point in your life or you felt like there were things going on? You, it sounds like it was a little bit of desperation you're in. You felt that tap from behind and, and the immediate response was, I got, I don't, you said, God, I don't want to live like this. Save me. Save me. But there's something in your life at the time you want, I want to change. I want to. I want to be saved and be rescued from something. It sounds it sounds like anyway, the way you describe it. So yeah. the story I think of in scripture, I remember the first time I read it, the smile it put on my face. You read about the, the terrible storm and you have to take into consideration these were veteran seasoned fishermen. And the storm was the storm was so overwhelming that they were terrified. And I try to imagine these men, you know, their daddy sleeping in the bow of the boat. You know this this person of influence or power or authority, and uh, almost a fear to wake him up. But ultimately, they do. And uh, Jesus, of course, was just resting and sleeping in the bow of the boat because of his trust in the Father. And uh, you know, of course, he walks out, whispers, and calms the seas. Who is this man that whispers and calms the seas? So, and you know, I'm just grateful. I mean, at that point. Was it difficult? Of course it was. I think one of the most dangerous things in life in the world is when things are going very well. I commonly like to ask people, you know, what are the, the three things in your life, events that have made you the person you are today? And I preface by saying, don't overthink it. Because people tend to dwell on it too long. And really, I just want the, the impulsive answer. And in most situations, occasionally somebody will surprise me and they'll start by saying, you know, my salvation coming to know Jesus Christ. But that's an anomaly. Most of the time, the responses to the question are generally the three most difficult things they faced in their life. So, and we have a God that loves us, and it's hard to understand sometimes why there's trials and suffering. And the Lord doesn't always cause them, but he allows them. But what he promises is that he'll use them for good. Hmm. Sounds like he was using it for good in your life to kind of create in your heart some kind of desire to reach out to him. A friend and I, we used to talk about things. It's like wine. If you take something and put enough pressure on something, grapes, for instance, it makes something much sweeter. Hmm. So is it true then that you pretty much grew up with a awareness of God? You never, you never went through a time where you didn't believe in him? Well, I would say I grew up with an idea of what God was. But when you say God, it was a distant, a distant figure, something that was unascertainable or unfathomable. So I think 
when things really started to change is when I intrinsically started to have a a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Hmm. How did so, that happen? So then what take us after that Thursday night at 2.30 in the morning when you felt the hand of God on you and that desire to connect with him, what happened next? What happened? Did you so, meet other Christians uh, then? Or? Well, I mean, the first person I went out to try to talk to was my mother. And uh, it was a very ugly response. It was legalistic and superficial and questioning my decisions. And, and uh, so that was really overwhelming. You know, it, it just was not what I anticipated, but it was probably two weeks after that had taken place. I ended up at an event over in Cuyahoga Falls and uh, Bob Bevington, uh, who is a friend of my father's. And during during my my dad, he, I was 30 years old when he passed away. I was relatively young, but my father was the type of person. He didn't really speak negatively about anyone, but there was just a very small list of people he spoke very highly of. And my father used to speak very highly of Bob Bevington. And I knew Bob and I had interacted with Bob and I spent some time with him, but I wouldn't say I spent a lot of time with him. And I ended up over at the Sheraton in Cuyahoga Falls. And there was hundreds of people there and Bob and I are both very extroverted. And at that time I was very involved socially. And I saw him and I went to speak to him. And we ended up talking that night for two and a half hours as if nobody else was there. And there was four or 500 people there. And we exchanged numbers and agreed we would get together. And so I went over once for dinner. I think I went alone. I went over a second time with my girlfriend. And I went over a third time. And Bob had mentioned, hey, we're going to start this Bible study on Sunday evenings, which later became the Cellar Dwellers. I, I, I was the original in faction. I was part of the first group. So, I've heard of that. I know about that group. I visited that group before. Yep. And yeah, I so think Jim knows about the group, too. Bob invited me to come over, come over on a Sunday night. And I remember that night. It was Louis Giglio. And I believe it's called Indescribable. Oh, and yeah. He, he talks great... about space and the Hubble telescope. And and I remember watching it. There was some wonderful people there. John Schott, Rob Thomas, Amy, his wife. And I remember watching the video. And, and uh, praise God, I've always been a person that's very... I've always been open, a willingness to listen, to learn. I've always been a seeker. And uh, watching that video that night, probably the most overwhelming thing was when I looked to my left and I looked to my right, and there was grown men weeping with tears running down their face. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, this is really heavy. Mm. And But it was very overwhelming. I didn't know how really to respond to it. In the end, Amy was so cute. She came up, got on her knees right in front of me and said, so what do you think, Lulu? And she was just demanding her, you know, trying to get this initial response from me from what I had seen. And it was very overwhelming, but that's that's how it kind of started. And then I continued to go faithfully every Sunday. And I literally sat in silence for six months and I never spoke. And six months that's later, hard for me to believe. That's true. <laughs> so at this time, you were a baby, a, a new Christian, a new Christian. So you're just, it sounds like you were just like a sponge. You almost couldn't speak because you each, were just. Each, each Sunday, it was just, I was hearing new things and just listening. Some of the perspectives were similar. Some were very different. But I think what was most powerful for the first time, I was really hearing the word of God directly. You know, it was just the word. And so after six months one night, 
I looked at Bob and I said, hey, Bob, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And of course, our study ended at nine o'clock and this was around 930. And uh, so we were late as usual. And Bob looked at me and went, yeah, yeah, sure, Louis, what's going on? And uh, so I started asking questions that night. And I'll never forget it because five souls stayed there that night. And when we finally left on a Sunday night, it was 2.30 in the morning. Oh my God. It was Monday morning. Yep. I had a lot of questions. Wow. So, and it was probably three to three and a half years into my new birth or that new type of life that I actually walked into a church. And so really the only foundation I had as far as my faith was my Sunday night Bible study. And then ultimately, after about three years, Bob and his family invited me to go to the Christmas concert. And the music was so overwhelming. It just, it touched me. And then I started to go to church. I said, I think I'd like to go to church on Sunday. And I remember the first time I walked in, having run the bar for seven years, and I've, I've always just been a very social person. So I tend to, if I enter a new area, arena, or group of people, I make an effort to know the people involved. And when I started to go to the church, it was really overwhelming for me because I'd walk in on a Sunday and there was so many people, but I only knew a handful of people. I was used to going to places where I knew most of the people there. And I remember the first time I went, it really stood out to me telling Bob, this is so different, Bob. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, the people almost seem like they're glowing. And I said, they look so healthy. And there's just a different perspective. People are just very different here. And so that's where things kind of led. And I started to go to church. And then later, it was the men of the word Bible study. Um, simply put, things did not work out. And there was a separation from the initial Bible study. And on Saturday mornings, I started attending the men's Bible study. And again, it was very powerful to me because the first five years, I didn't show up once prepared, not once. And it's not that I wasn't making the effort. I was trying to read scripture, but I would read it. And it was like Japanese stereo instructions. I, I, I would wrestle with it and try to read it, and it didn't make any sense. And But I kept faithfully showing up every Saturday. And I can tell you the turning point, it was the verse when it talks about Christ healing and the Pharisees suggest that only the Messiah could have done that. And then they accused him of healing in the power of Beelzebub. And he opened my eyes and I recognized that the fools in their own admission that only the Messiah could perform a miracle like that. They were staring at the truth and they couldn't see it, but I could. And it was a turning point for me. And that's when I started to be much, much more deliberate about reading. And when I started to read, it started to make sense. He started to reveal himself to me. And it was terrifying for a long time because I could see things and understand things that when I would meet with groups of people, I, I would try to express what I felt like the spirit was revealing or showing me. And I endured and dealt with a lot of rejection. And, uh, and I was attacked, uh, to be frank with you. And Saturday is the one place that it's been consistent and faithful where I've been, I've been able to show up and my responses haven't always been right per se, but it's what the spirit has revealed to me. And it's a place where I've always felt safe, where I could express, you know, or share what I felt like the word was speaking to me in my life. 
And as a result of that, it started to embolden me. I felt more comfortable sharing the things I was seeing and professing the things that I could see in his word. So 2015, I got involved 2014 in prison ministry. And um, this was very powerful. There was an inmate that I had sponsored that weekend, and it's what's called open mic. And imagine it's almost like the woman by the well, they have a chance to go up and freely speak into a microphone and share their testimony. And this fellow went up and in front of all the inmates, he said, all my life, I've known Jesus Christ was my savior. But it wasn't until this weekend that I knew he was the, the Lord of my life. And he took his hands and he extended them like this. And I remember watching, and I don't know if anyone else could see what I saw that day. And he told his head, and I could see Christ crucified. And it, it's, it's hard to explain some of these things, but I left. And that was a Sunday and that Tuesday night at my weekly Bible study with Marshall and the crew, Marshall Brandon. I looked at Marshall after the study. This was not premeditated. I, I looked at him and I said, hey, Marshall. And he looked at me, he said, yeah, Lou. And I said, I think I need to get baptized. And he said, okay, that big Marshall smile. And he said, let's pick a date. And um, I had the privilege when I got baptized, I had four converts that got baptized with me that I had the privilege of leading to Christ. So uh, two of them were co-workers and the other two were individuals that had lived here in my home. That's so amazing. Well, I know that I know that uh, one of the things I really love about you is your your passion to uh, to tell other people about Jesus and what he's done in your life and how he can change their lives. And I know you've got a really unique ministry going right now. So I'm going to kind of jump, jump ahead unless uh, Jim wants me to go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Before you do that, I, I will we'll get there in a second, but I just want to connect a couple of dots for some of our readers, because this is amazing, Louie. What an incredible testimony. You talk about, Bob Bevington, that may be a name that a lot of our viewers don't know, but Bob's actually a good friend of both Greg's and mine. And um, yeah, last episode, Greg, we we're talking about the book that I'm working on and the draft. Bob, Bob is actually, uh, he's an, um, um, uh, an eye doctor, but he's also a Christian author. He's published five books. And so if you uh, search for Bob Bevington, you'll see his Christian books. Uh, for example, the, the bookends and, and, and among other books and the, the um, uh red like blood. also editing he i, I he, i've hired him as to be the editor of my book and so he's given me help and so give me um hand holding my hand along the way to kind of get mine uh and as some form that can be published as well so but bob's such an, an incredible uh, uh soul and also um uh, connected also to my wife's family because bob uh, bob was at a low point of his life my wife's father reached out to bob and so kind of really uh, helped him when he felt like an outcast of the church and my really connected with my father-in-law who was able to be instrumental in Bob's life. And then the way you were describing your story Lee, about how your father had said, there's a guy I respect. And that was someone you knew to go up to and talk to just somebody. So Bob ironically was probably in a, one of the lower points of his life when he met with spending time with my father, but I, I suspect perhaps the Lord may have been using that because although he was going through trials and struggling, there was something that my father saw. That's my hope and prayer. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so that, that's really cool. And then um, the other, just to connect dots for listeners, that's one. And then the, you mentioned the 
um, uh, uh, Christmas concert at our church, uh, but also the uh, study, the Men of the Word study. That is a study that Greg and I often talk about that we're preparing for, that we're even tonight, if we get to uh, uh, the uh, passage, we're, we're doing this in preparation for the, that that very study, the Men of the Word Bible study that at our church. And it's part, a large part of our theme of our podcast is that we talk through these passages in anticipation of teaching on them at the Men of the Word study that meets uh, every Saturday morning. So, and you've been a faithful participant in that uh, long before I am. I'm, I'm kind of the newbie still. I'm just glad to be there. I feel lucky to be grafted in, so to speak. So to, <laughs> to be tolerated and be able to be there. So, but yeah, so I didn't want to interrupt. But I want to just connect some dots for our listeners because it's, uh, um, oh, and then you mentioned Marshall Brandon and Marshall uh, also uh, for our listeners is a, a published author. He just published a book he, for Marshall was a former Black Panther is an incredible testimony um, and a rebel from the sixties and came to know Jesus and was a pastor at our church for a long time. Also, a good friend of my father-in-law's and my father-in-law wrote uh, one of the comments in the back of his book in the book jacket. So lots of connections there, Louis, uh, to your life. It's amazing um, how the, uh, how the spirit works and moves in, in our lives. That's cool. I do want us to get into the word a little bit together. So um, finally, Louis, just let's jump way forward to like what's happening right now in your life and how the Lord is using you. Tell tell us a little bit about the ministry you got going on with your Airbnb and um, if you have. So I have, a, I have a bed and breakfast that's here in Highland Square in Akron, Ohio, and it's interesting how that worked out. I actually bought this house when I was twenty years old, and I bought it because it's just simply a block away from my family's bar. So, and that's what compelled me to buy this house. And fast forward thirty two years later, I, I thought I would purchase this home and stay a year or two, get another house, and. I wanted to purchase rental properties and obviously the Lord had different plans, but I started having some health issues about four years ago and I was not able to, to be as focused on my work as a financial advisor as I would like to be. And, um, but obviously needed to earn income. And for 28 years, the Lord was using me despite myself. I've had every kind of human being you can fathom or imagine live here at my home. I've had, convicts, addicts. I've had resident doctors, doctors, nurses. Um, I've had attorneys that have clerked for federal judges. Um, you name it, they've been here. And um, when I started doing the prison ministry, I just recognized in one of my trip, trips home from Warren, what a blessing it is that the inmates are at Trumbull Correctional Institute, both from an individual standpoint, protection for themselves and the community at large. And I recognized on the drive home after four days of going into the prison, it's maximum security prison. You're generally physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. And I recognized on the way home that some of the people still living in my home weren't too terribly different than some of the people in the prison. And I just recognized it was becoming a little bit challenging and overwhelming. And it was just, the Lord was calling me to do something different. So I shifted from long-term tenants and I started pursuing short-term tenants full-time and fast forward it's been five years now so the bed and breakfast um, i'm just two blocks away from dr bob's home who is the founder of alcoholics anonymous and so i have addicts in recovery that travel from all over the world that come here and stay here with the desire to go and visit bob's home so and ironically a block the opposite direction is my the location of my family's bar of 74 years so it, it makes this interesting triangle and I'm right in the center of it. 
And uh, the Lord has blessed me with a global ministry. I just don't leave home. He's bringing people from all over the world. In fact, I have a guest presently here tonight who is from Nepali, and uh, they represent the 50th country now that has now visited my home here in Highland Square. That's amazing. And I and you, I came over and you gave me a tour of the place, and I can tell you that uh, uh, it's you can't stay there and not sense God in some some way. Or, I mean, there's access to um, anyone who's open to learning about Jesus. There's all kinds of literature available and ways that you can um, learn about faith and grow in your faith. And so it's a really cool ministry you've got going there. And I think you've you've shared the gospel with, you know, I don't know, tens, hundreds. I don't know how many people, but lots of people that have come through. At your this place point, probably it, it's easily a thousand that's amazing that's amazing what a great what a great ministry if anybody wants to check out your website or your or your place what is the web what is the web address it's my last name it's baradin b-e-r-r-o-d-i-n then just add bb for bed and breakfast so baradinbb.com yeah and you got pretty good reviews right Absolutely. So I've won uh, the one award I'm I'm really proud of the last two years. It's TripAdvisor. I'm in the top 10% of all the hotels in the world based upon the reviews that I've received. That is crazy. (laughs) A a house in Akron, Ohio. Google, I have 266 reviews and I actually have a perfect rating. Uh, I have a perfect rating on TripAdvisor. So it's it's really been a blessing, and it's great to see the Lord's hand in things. And that's my hope and desire is just to simply glorify Him. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.